You have to, in a way, have a certain element of drive because along the way, people are going to tell you, why did you do this? You shouldn't have done this. I told you, I told you. You have to be determined to, to succeed. Where do you think your drive came from? Um, that's a wicked question, OT. Why do you think I got this podcast, Charlie? <laughs> <laughs> that's why she got it, baby. <laughs> Welcome to the Rhythm of Life, my podcast where I get to talk to some of my favorite celebrity friends and find out who is the person behind the celebrity. I want to go deep with them. I want to find out what makes them tick and what keeps them going and most especially what keeps them motivated and inspired. For this podcast, we have my great friend, Melvin Odoom. Now, Melvin is the king of radio, of TV, of music. He does it all. There is nothing this man can do. And today, for this podcast, I am so honored to welcome the amazing Melvin Odu. Oh my God, I've never actually interviewed you. We just usually just have normal chats. Yeah, no. I'm like, what's up, Melvin? That's how I like it, to be fair. That is true. So we can just start simple, simple, simple. How are you? I'm very well, OT. Thanks for having me on this. No, thanks for coming. When they said Melvin, I think I did a little jump, whoop, cartwheel, <laughs> and a little, yay! Listen, if it's you, I'm involved. It's not a problem. Oh, I love that. I just, so, you know, the thing is, the first time I was introduced to you, ever, 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 I think it was the first time I came to this country and I turned on the radio and I heard, welcome to the Big Breakfast Show, it's Melvin and Ricky and, I, and Charlie, and I was like, what is this? This is amazing. You have done so much in your life. Um, Thank you. Radio, you've done amazing stuff. Radio BBC One now, you just got a promotion. Congratulations for that. MTV, have you always been in love with music? Um, Yeah, from like a really young age. I I actually wanted to sing, but then I realised I couldn't actually hold a note. And then I thought, (laughs) what's the next best thing? And I think like I kind of fell into presenting because I didn't know what what else I could do. and then I, I went to uni and met Ricky. Yeah. And he was like a don. He went to Brit school, which is like a really good school for like arts and culture. And he just knew everything about radio. And so I kind of stuck with Rick's and then fell in love with radio. And that's how I fell into it. So, But when you say fall in, let's talk about mm-hmm. that. What do you mean fall in? Do you just wake up one day and be like, I just want to talk to people and play them songs? <laughs> do you know what? I was like that kid that used to record like bits of radio shows and make a mixtape in my house. So I kind of, it was, I always kind of like enjoyed it, but I never saw myself as a DJ. I used to listen to people like Trevor Nelson Mm. and stuff like that. And then when, when I got a bit older, I did like a local RSL. It's like a local radio station in our area called Town FM. And I was like, right, I can actually do this. And then once I got to uni and actually did it for a degree, I thought this could actually be a career in my, um, my lecture was just like, Melvin, radio is a really good way to get into things like TV. So I kind of started doing that and then fell in, in love with it yeah. um, just by accident. And I think when, when I did stuff with Ricky, it just felt like a fun thing. It didn't ever feel like work. It was just like two mates chat, chatting like you and me right yeah. now. 
Um, so then when we left, we were like, you know what? One Extra's just started. It sounds like the kind of station we want to work for. And Ricky started doing work experience for literally everyone. He worked for Kiss. He worked for Radio 1. He worked for One Extra. Uh, he worked for literally everyone. And I was like too broke to do that. So I was working <laughs> in a youth club in East London. And um, after like a, a few years, he was like, Melvin, why don't you just come and work behind the scenes as a broadcast assistant? And he got me a job at the BBC at One Extra as a, wow. a BA. And that's how it kind of started. So what is it that keeps you kind of invested in love with radio? Um, I suppose it is music first. Like in my house, when you come over to my house one day, um, I will show you every single room there's some form of speaker wow. or radio or like some like a sonar system or something yeah. going on I have to listen to music everywhere if I'm in the shower if I'm in the garden if I'm in the kitchen there's literally just music all the time in my car I can't drive or go to the gym without hearing a tune so I think music is first um, and then also I'm quite lucky because I do a show with Ricky and Charlie mm -hmm. and they're like my best friends And so I'm literally just having a conversation and bouncing off them every single day. And I think, like you, yeah. if you do what you love, it just doesn't feel like work. Yeah. Um, and how does it work with radio? Is there a, a routine that you guys have? Do, do you guys have a script? What happens when you talk over each other? Uh, it is a formula, OT. It's it? a, the same way with you, you've gone... Like, I don't know how you memorize a routine and then go and do it in front of millions of people every single week. But it's, it's like breathing to you. It's the same with us and radio. It just becomes the norm. And we've been doing this for yeah. over 14 years, OT. Yeah. So the whole talking over which I know that if Ricky starts something, he wants to get the story out and then he might ask me and Charlie a question and then he might throw it back to himself. And then, do you mean, I understand the, the rhythm of how he works and the rhythm of how Charlie works and how they create links. And... It's been a it's been a struggle in in this quarantine or in this pandemic, I should say, because yeah. obviously, because of health and safety, we can only have two people in the studio. So one person's been going from home for the last few, well, the last year. Mm -hmm. So me and Ricky will be in the studio, like for example, this week, and then Charlie has been broadcasting from her house in her living room, and then we rotate. So then next week it'll yeah. be Ricky at home, and then me and Charlie will be in the studio. So yeah. that's really tested us as presenters because you have to really understand how you're talking to the other presenter because they're not sitting in front of you. It's not like you and me now where I can see you. I know when you're going to open your mouth. We have to yeah. really double take. And before that, last year, there were two people at yeah. home. So radio is very much like when you're doing a, a show where there's like more than one person, you have to look out for the signals. You have to know when... Rix is going to talk. I, I literally watch his lips or I literally look mm -hmm. at Charlie's lips when she finishes a sentence. So then I know I can jump in because then that's where you get the interruptions. Yeah, it's, it's an art form, but it comes with time, I think. So tell me about your friendship with Ricky because that's probably the longest relationship. And I know you. That is the longest relationship <laughs> that you've been able to stick to <laughs> and not get bored of. <laughs> Oh, thanks, OT. Uh, you know what? I've known Ricks for about 20 years. And um, there are, put it this way, there, there's more than one Ricky. But Ricky's the one that everyone knows. So when I went to uni, I met five other guys who I live with. And they're like my brothers. One's yeah. called Charlie, one's called Damien, one's called Russell. There's another one called Leroy, right? Yeah. And 
all of them do different things. Like Russell's an actor, Leroy works in marketing. And then there's also my, I've got like two or three boys from school who, and then my cousin Joseph. So we're like this brotherhood of friends and we've been really close for over 20 years. And I can ask, I can call up any of them and ask for something. And if they can do it, they will help me. I remember when I moved into this house. I had a job for BBC Free mm. and I couldn't physically move my stuff from one house to the other. I gave my keys to my boy Charlie and my friend Edis and they moved all of my stuff, my bed, my chairs, everything. I literally got home after this show and all of my stuff was in this house. And they're the, yeah, those, they're the kind of boys Maybe. that will just do anything. So Rix is, he's one of the brothers and you know, I don't just, I don't just call them my friends like they're family to me. Yeah. And and how long has this brotherhood really felt like something that you guys could do forever? Um since I'd say so Eddie's and Joseph like Joseph's like my cousin so well he is my cousin but Eddie's I've known for like about 30 years I went I met him at primary school. Yeah. Wow. And then the other guys yeah it was a long long time ago and then obviously um the other guys I met like my first year of university and we just I think we just had similar values like they're all very family orientated they come from like all of their mums remind me of my mum in different ways um they're very if you think I'm nice they're next level like they are 10 times nicer than me yeah 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 they are 10 times nicer than me they work super super hard um, and they're just good people. And I think it's important to surround yourself with, with yeah. positive people. You you grew up in London, didn't you? You, yes. you were born and bred. How did you guys, because you seem, like I said, really nice. You could have easily gone down the, the wrong route. You could have easily ended up in somewhere where you shouldn't have been. How did you guys kind of overcome that adversity or I guess peer pressure? My mum wouldn't have it, OT. Yeah, you know African mums, we don't play. Like, strict African <laughs> mum. She And the thing is, my mum is like about five foot. She's tiny. But yeah. if she tells you off, you are scared. It's not, she doesn't mess around. I call my mum the tax man because every month she collects her money. She's like, how, how was that job that she did the other day? She'll come and collect her money. She'll go and go shopping. When she comes to the house, she goes through my fridge. She goes, hey, you've got champagne. I will take this she one. She goes through your fridge. <laughs> she goes through my fridge. If she sees anything nice, it's gone. It's really? hers. But I call her the boss. If she wants it, she can take it. Cause like my mum literally works so hard to, get get us where we, I always had a roof over my head I always had good food to eat I always had clothes on my back like and it was hard for her like single mum it, w- it wasn't yeah. easy so like if I can help my mum in any way then I, I will try and do that so yeah the reason why I, I you know I was a good kid is because my mum just wouldn't have it and how do you, because I know with me, like African mom, when you grow up, your mom is like, right, you're going to be a lawyer or an engineer or an accountant or a disgrace to the family. If, Was it the same for you, Oti? Oh my, I studied civil engineering. I'm an engineer. Really? But then when I said, I don't want to do this, I want to become a dancer, it was like a whole thing. How did, how was it for you? Was it just like, yeah, mom, I'm gonna, Fall into I, I want to ask you about this first, though, because you've got two dancers <laughs> in the family. So how did your mum deal with that? Like, she wanted you guys to be engineers, but you both became amazing dancers. 
So first three three of us, right? One, Mutsi studied law. So Mutsi is also a lawyer because my Whoa. dad is a lawyer. So she was going to take over the business. And she's like, nah, I'm leaving. Bye, bye, bye. I'm going to Germany. Second sister studied mechanical engineering. So she actually is working now as a mechanical engineer. So that just right. makes me and Mutsi just look like shit, doesn't it? <laughs> they, they put money in us and we went, yeah, I'm in. I then studied, did everything, and then at the end, started working, and I was like, I don't like this. Sorry, mom. I'm out. And that was like, what are you talking about? This is what you're supposed to do. Dancing was not supposed to be the thing. It's just supposed to be a moment thing. And it was a big thing. And especially because we wanted to do it overseas, not at home. And marry the boy, live in a little townhouse, get those three kids. We, We went about that life. So it was a big thing. Did you ever have that? Was your mom like, Melvin, you're going to be a lawyer. So this is a complicated one because I would say my mum and my dad are my biggest fans, right? But when I finished uni, it was impossible for me to get a job. No one knew who I was. I had no experience. I was like, I wanted to be a presenter. And I remember going to the BBC with my little record of achievements and, and all my certificates from my degree and stuff. And I remember I met an exec there and he was like, okay, Melvin, it looks like you're a smart guy and you're passionate about what you want to do. But he pointed to this lady and he was like, you see that girl over there? I was like, yeah, he goes, she's done five years work experience. I go, okay, cool. And he goes, you see that guy over there? Yep. He's worked for the BBC for about six or seven months and he's a really good producer. I was like, okay, cool. And he just kept pointing out all these really cool people in the room who were in the same position as me and they had experience and they had more qualifications and they just seemed like on paper a bigger deal. And I remember feeling so disheartened um, and coming back home and I was, I was working with young people in East London and kind of like doing dance and drama and teaching um, over there. But my passion lied in presenting. And I used to argue with my mum because she was like, Melvin, you're still living in this house. You've got all these qualifications. Just go and work in a bank or just get a normal job in the city and stuff like that. And we used to argue. And at the time... I used to think my mum didn't believe in me, but all it was is she was protecting me because for her, like, listen, on British TV at the time, you had Lenny Henry and Trevor McDonald, right? There wasn't many black faces on the TV. So when she came to the country and she switched on the TV, there was two black people on the TV. (laughs) So she's thinking, my son, who just was went to a little school in North London, how can he be a presenter? Because there's no one else. And these two guys who I'm seeing, they're really, really talented. So how can my little son be as talented as that? But I used to say to mum, I can't see myself doing anything else. And it makes me so happy to make people happy. I want to tell stories. I want to make people laugh. I want to play music. That's all I can see myself doing. And we went back and forth, back and forth. Anyway, I finally got a job on, on CBBC on a show called Dick and Dom in the Bungalow. And I wasn't getting paid a lot, but I think for my mum, she was just so proud that I was working for the BBC. The BBC was a big deal, it still is. So she was like, she could go to her, her sister and be like, hey, my son is working at the BBC, chale. Do you know what I mean? It was like, such, she was such a, a proud person. And, and no matter how big or small the show was, she was proud of me. And I think once she could see that there 
was a chance for me to make it in this industry, then she kind of like went all in. And yeah, my mum, my dad and my sister are my biggest fans. Isn't, there's no one that supports me more. My mum will tell strangers about what I do. She'll go to Sainsbury's and be like, hey, my son, have you heard him on the radio this today? She, hey, you're a great show. And my dad, he records everything. He can tell... He can tell me really? what's on. Like, I might record something and forget it's coming on TV. And he'll be like, in our family group, make sure you watch Melvin this Saturday. He's going to be on Tipping Point or whatever. Oh, like, wow. he, he says, he tells everyone. He know he's on the ball. He, he records everything. And it must be boring for, like, when my uncle, when he comes over, because he literally be like, oh, Melvin was on this weekend. Let's watch him. Yeah. Like, they're my biggest fans. But that is amazing. it was hard. And same thing as you. Like, it's because your family want the best for you. Yes. And they want you to have, you know, a, a stable lifestyle mm. and they want you to have money in the bank and so that you can kind of give back to your kids and stuff. Yeah. And going into industries like us, dance and presenting is a dangerous and very scary industry to be getting into. Like, yeah. if my kids came and said that to me, I'd be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you're, going, you're going to university and you're going to study this, this and this because you yeah. need something to fall back on because this isn't easy. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. You, you have to, in a way, have a certain element of drive because along the way, people are going to tell you, why did you do this? You shouldn't have done this. I told you, I told you. You have to be determined to, to succeed. Where do you think your drive came from? Um, that's a wicked question, OT. Why do you think I got this podcast, Charlie? <laughs> that's why she got it, baby. Why do you think I got it? <laughs> For me, it's because... Ultimately, I just want to enjoy what I'm doing. I, mm. I want to be happy. And, um, okay, when, when I was young, so I've got, I've got a, I had an uncle who sadly passed away called Uncle David. Sorry. And he was like, thank you. And he was like, he was like the don of the family. Like he worked for this massive company in, I think he worked in South Africa a little bit. He worked Amazing. in Ghana. He worked in Cameroon. And he, there was an office in, in London in the UK. But it was very, very corporate. And so yeah. when I when I was at school, he got me work experience at an office in in London. And I used to go to this office OT and it was the most boring thing <laughs> I've ever done. Like I just remember thinking to myself, I don't ever want to work in an office. Really? I was I was and I suppose it's because they didn't really have much for me to do. They got me filing, I was tapping stuff into a computer, I was answering the phone. Yeah. And I just said to myself, I'm not happy here. I was, I was thinking if I grew up and ended, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with working in an office because yeah. a lot of people do that, but it just wasn't for me. And that experience said, taught me that I have to entertain mm. people. I'm not going to be happy. 
I just so want to be happy. Like the, you need to be stimulated, don't you? But creatively, yeah. and I think, like you said, there's nothing wrong with office jobs, but you need that creative stimulation. Yeah. And also, with our jobs, although we might go to the same studio every day and might be working with the same people, every single day is different. And that's what I love. It's just, I, I just don't know what to expect. And sometimes it's quite scary, but then other times it may, it's very, very exciting, as long as I'm yeah. prepared. Um, but yeah, I just like the fact that I work in a very unique industry and it kind of changes from day to day and it, it stays exciting. What are the things that you're grateful for when you wake up every morning? That I've got amazing people around me who believe in me sometimes more than I believe in myself. Mm-hmm. And um, what I've been trying to do more of late, lately is appreciate my achievements I think sometimes with people like you and me, we'll go, we need to do the next thing. I need to, yes. I need to get this gig. I need to be presenting on this. I need to get this show on Radio One. And sometimes you forget, raw, okay, I did 12 years on Kiss FM doing the breakfast yeah. show and I hosted the mobile awards or I did a game show with Ricky on ITV. Like you, we forget all these little achievements in life. And I think especially after lockdown, I really did kind of reflect and think about the things that I've achieved because I think we all do that, especially when you're a driven person, you just think about the next thing. But I think it's important to remember your achievements because that will help you to to push for the next thing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because if you, you, you'll remember the credentials that you have and the experience that you've had. So, yeah, I, I, I think appreciation is important. Yeah, I think also for me, it's, I, I used to have a list of things that I want to do, not a thing, a list of things that I've done. So you almost forget it and you then overlook it and you don't appreciate where you've gone. But it's the people who are successful today that always appreciate every single job that they've done. Everything, big and want, small. Yeah. Do you mean, I always talk about my job at CBBC, my first ever job with Dick and Don, because I'd never been in a TV studio before. And yeah. Richard and Dominic are great presenters. Watching them work. OT, they used to do games. They used to have kids running around. They used to have skits and sketches. And there was so much going on. And it was, and it was a live show. And I used to watch these guys and go, what? I don't know how they're doing this. So I learned so much from them. And people often refer to the extra factor or they refer to yes. my time on Strictly or they refer to Kiss or they, they refer to Radio 1. But every single job that I've done big and small has been so important to me there's this saying if you don't know where you come from you'll never know where you're going it's true which i really really love now let's talk a little bit more about your family because i'm so interested in your family because they are from (laughs) africa like when i say africa i mean mom still dresses africa (laughs) dad is like i'm going to record every single show but your sister is someone who means a lot to you you guys look yeah. like twins. Who's older? Who's younger? That's so funny you, you're asking that. So I'm the older one. I'm, I'm older by two years. But I would have Yona, said you're the baby. Well, this is the thing. It's because if Yona's more sensible than me, like she's <laughs> the one that's married, she's got a kid, like she has her house with her husband and she's very, very sensible. Like she'll go to church every, yeah. like she's the sensible one. So everyone thinks wow. she's the older one. And everyone loves Yona because Oti, yes. she's a living angel i always say she's a living angel she's the person that goes out of her way 
to help other people. Like I always tell people, like on her wedding day, I, I gave, I told this story to, to everyone that um, she came off the bus one day, right? And uh, there was this guy selling flowers. Uh, do you ever see them in the middle of the street? And uh, these two young girls ran up to the guy, grabbed these flowers, threw it on the floor and ran <gasps> off, right? And my sister saw all this happen. She was working part-time at the time. She didn't really have that much money. And so she went up to the guy and was like, are you okay? And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. It's, you know, it's just those silly girls. And my sister was like, how much are your flowers? And he was like, oh, they're about £10, £5 for a small bunch. And she got her purse out. She gave him some money and he gave her the flowers. And then she gave the flowers back to him and said, that's sorry for those girls that took oh your flowers and ran word. off. If she sees anyone upset, hurt, she'll help out. When my grandmother couldn't see, she called every hospital in Ghana to find the best doctor. Then she called every member of our family and said, whatever money you've got, put it in this account and then I'm going to get grandma an operation and then my grand could see again. I think she had like cataracts or something. So she, if there's anyone in pain, hurt, upset, she will help them. You know on Strictly when I, when I got booted off in the first week. <laughs> eliminated. <laughs> Elim- is eliminated word. is the word. <laughs> I call it booted off. Anyway. Um, she came back with a big bang, didn't she? Came back with a bang. You are. I don't know if you know this, OT. I nearly said no to the Christmas special. Do you know that? No. Why? Not? Why? So BBC came up to me. So who was doing the casting them, them times? It was, Vinny, I think. Um, Vinny. So Vinny had a meeting with me and she goes, Melvin, we'd love to, uh, love for you to come back for the Christmas special. And I was like, I'm not sure. And she was like, why not? I said, because I don't want to fail again. Oh, right? right. And I said, I felt like I let, like my friends down and my family down. And I'm so used to like, Winning. doing well and winning and that felt really hard to to lose and at such an early stage I, don't, I think I would it wouldn't have bothered me if I was like third out but to be the first out um really upset me and um so I said to Vinny I, I don't want to do it right and she said Melvin just go away and think about it right so I called my sister because I speak to Yo about most things and I said to her BBC have asked me to come and do the Christmas special for Strictly. And she was like, you've got to do it. And I was like, how come it was so, like... Easy. Easy for you to answer that? She goes, because you're Smash It. And I was like, how do you know that? And she goes, because you're my brother. And you always do well. And I was like, raw, her belief is different. Anyway, I went and rehearsed with Jeanette, right? And me and Jeanette, like you and all the other guys, you video your rehearsals. So you can learn when you're at home, whatever. And my sister called me. She goes, are you at home? And I was like, yep. She goes, how's your rehearsal? I said, it was fine. She goes, I'm coming over now. I was like, what? So she came into the kitchen. She started moving the furniture around. I was like, what is she doing? She goes, where's the video from your rehearsal? I was like, here, it's on my phone. She sat and she watched it for about 30 minutes, OT. And she learnt Jeanette's parts. Oh, my word. And then she rehearsed with me until like midnight. Every day, she'd come to the house and rehearse with me. Rehearse with me, rehearse with me. And then, then I won the Christmas special. That is amazing. So your sister pushed you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, and she does that all the time. Like, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm probably not going to get this or oh, this is really hard. She just, my sister, has, she's got a lot of faith in me. And yeah. so because of I, you know, probably don't want to let her down. Of course. It Do gives you have a faith. fear of, of failure or of disappointing your family? Because um, we all have a, an, an element of it. 
I hate getting things wrong and it's something I'm working on because I think when you get things wrong, you have to, you learn from it. Yeah. You, you, do you mean you learn from mistakes? Um, and yeah, I make mistakes every day, like on the radio show, but I always, with me, I always use humor to get out yeah. of stuff. And yeah. we have a saying on the show, me, Ricky and Charlie got the saying that it doesn't have to be right. It just has to be funny. And I think a lot of the times I get out of stuff using humour. But with that situation on Strictly, it, I was taking that very serious. So yeah. it was hard to use humour as a way out of, of, of things <laughs> because it was just down to me not being a good enough dancer at that time, at that point. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I do, I think I just don't like making mistakes. I don't think yeah. anyone likes it, but I have a problem no. with it. And uh, and especially when you make mistakes on such a big platform, yeah, like ten million people are watching you, and so there's also that hesitation. Have you ever felt like fear in any situation has held you back from doing things? Um, you know what? With me, is sometimes I just throw myself. If I'm really scared, I'm just like, just, let's just do this. Because really? if if I think about it too much, then I, I'll probably talk myself out of it. And um, going back to Derma, I used to ask mm-hmm. him. Did you used to get nervous when you like presented the NCAs or um, X Factor and stuff like that? And he used to say to me, if I'm prepared, I'm excited. And if I'm not, then I'm nervous. And I just, I don't know why. I always remembered that. And so now if I am nervous about something, I just over prepare. So then I can be excited about it. Um, but yeah, if I'm really nervous about something, I just throw myself, I don't even think about it. Just I do just, it. Just, just, let's just do it. And move on. It, it's amazing. I there's this saying that I have: um, failure to prepare is preparing to fail. And I say that yeah. every single season before Strictly. So I'm super, super, super prepared for everything. Do you feel like you have to f- do that in every aspect of your life, not just the radio? Um, yeah, work wise, I think so. I think socially, I'm really chilled out. I'm like the guy that will turn up late to a party and I like to take my time and, you know, oh, shave my beard no. and get ready and iron stuff and dance around in my boxer shorts with the music on before I get anywhere. Like socially, I'm chill. I am relaxed. Do you mean there's no rush? But when it comes to work, then yeah, do you mean if, if I know I've got an interview with Oti tomorrow, yeah. I, want my, I want my questions about her. I want to know her history. <laughs> I want to know what award she's done. I want to know what show she's, do you see what I'm saying? Like, I'm like you because I don't want to be caught out. Um, unless I'm really comfortable with that person. But yeah, generally I like to, to prepare. You just said that you are late. Why are we always late? I'm, late for everything for everything and and it only seems and i'm gonna say it like it's a black person thing and more african than anything more african because the more african you are the more minutes they seem to to like take away from the cup (laughs) do you know what i just don't like to be rushed and i don't it's i don't (laughs) like to be controlled i feel like time is controlled and you yes. know, with work, obviously, we have to be there on a certain time, you know, a certain date because it's work, do you know what I mean? And you have to run to clockwork. But socially, I don't want no one to control me because if this yeah. is my, this is my time. This is enjoyment. So like I said, that's why I'm usually late to stuff. And the thing is, OT, you ain't met my sister. Like, Yona's next level late. 
Okay, I thought I thought you were gonna say she's on time. I was like, no, no. send her back, <laughs> send her back. No, no, no. Like she's always so late that I have to give her fake time. So if I say we got to meet at three o'clock, I will tell her let's meet at one o'clock. I give her like a two-hour lead on something because two I just know hours. she'll be running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's always late. Okay, so you get to an event and you're late or a party or whatever. What What do you say? What's your line? How do you excuse your lateness? I never excuse it. <laughs> There's never. No excuse. Just turn up. <laughs> just, just turn up. Just turn up. Or, or you just blame traffic. That's traffic's probably the only thing that I would generally use. But it, the secret is not to give an excuse. Just turn yes. up. Just be. The, just turn up like you were there from the start. And I never <laughs> say bye as well. At a party, you will never hear me say bye. I just Why? cut out because I want people to think I was there till the end. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just, I just disappear. I always, uh, I read somewhere, they say, never make excuses for being late. So what I say is, thanks for waiting. <laughs> that sounds rude. Okay. This is, no. Yeah, thanks for waiting for me. That's good. Thank you so much for waiting. But I say it really nice. That way I don't make you feel like I've done something wrong or that you feel like you've been doing something wrong. Do you know what I mean? So I, goes, I just appreciate you for waiting for my... I might try that, OT. I might give it a try. try. Okay. On that note, that is part one of the podcast. Just stay where you are because we're going to do part two and we're going to hopefully make sure you're on time for that one and not late. (laughs) 